0: To get started, visit plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. Hey, hey. Welcome back. I recognize you. I'm Kevin, you know me. And we're hiking today, and I've noticed that when I go by people on hikes, a lot of people are venting. Hiking is great for venting. It's not complaining. It's just venting, getting things off your chest. It's like the difference between high maintenance and getting attention. Hiking is great for venting and getting attention. I think that's what I'm really trying to say. All right, grab your protein pills, put your helmet on. We're going for a hike.
1: Hello, and welcome to The Last Laugh. I'm Matt Wilstein from The Daily Beast. My guest on this week's show is a true comedy legend, Kevin Nealon. I grew up watching Kevin anchor Weekend Update on Saturday Night Live... Um, he's an incredible stand-up comic and actor. Uh, you might know him from *Weeds*, and now he stars on uh, the sitcom *Man with a Plan*. But the main reason I wanted to talk to Kevin is because I love his YouTube series *Hiking with Kevin*. It just started its third season uh, this past week with Alec Baldwin as the first guest, but he's talked to a lot of great people on the show, including a lot of his SNL uh, former SNL cast members. Uh, the show has been compared a bit to *Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee*. Uh, including by Jerry Seinfeld, who seemed to call him out a little bit in a promo for that show uh, when it came back this past season. Um, I feel like an alternate title for it could be Comedians on Hikes Getting Winded. But uh, I I think it's a really interesting show, and he gets really great stuff out of his guests. Um, And there's something kind of weirdly meditative about watching him hike around the mountains of Los Angeles with uh, his famous friends. Before we get to Kevin, I want to remind everyone to please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what your favorite episode has been so far and who else you want to hear on the show. I know a lot of people have been enjoying the Anthony Jeselnik episode. That one was a lot of fun for me to do, and I hope you enjoyed it. So now, let's go to my conversation with Kevin Nealon. Kevin, welcome to the show. Um, I feel like uh, we haven't met before today, but but I feel like I know you because I've spent the last few days uh, binging, hiking with Kevin. Okay, cool. Um, and it's, uh, it feels like a lot of, uh, it, it's a, um, for one, I'm I'm very jealous of your, of your guest list. You get really great guests on the show. Thank you. Um, but, but also it's just this, there's very like serene, relaxing feeling that I, that I get from, from yeah, watching there really the, is. the show.
0: And, you know, I was wondering why I was so tired. It's because you were binging that show <laughs> of me hiking all of a sudden. It's I'm a like, I so tired. Um, yeah, but, it's yeah, nice, my, to, my, nice
1: to watch and, and sit on your you know couch and, and uh, <laughs> <it's> easy, <laughs> you don't actually yeah. have to be hiking to watch <clears throat> the
0: show. No, you could be eating lunch or having a candy bar <laughs> or whatever. But I've been very lucky with my guest list. Yeah, they have. Uh, all of, I, I went through all my friends; they did. Yeah. And now I'm like uh, <laughs> contacting publicists. Yeah, is and, that, um, that's
1: di- that's a little different than uh, just asking your friends to
0: go on yeah. a hike. It's actually how I got my public publicists today. Is I I contacted contacted them to get uh, a guest. Yeah. And. Um, and then they um, reached out to see if I needed publicity. And I said, <laughs> sure. Yeah,
1: uh, why not? Wow. Oh. <laughs> um, so how did this uh, How did this idea for this uh, YouTube show, Hiking with Kevin, kind of kind of start?
0: Well, you know what, Matt? I, I There's a canyon near my house. I like to walk in and hike. And um, that's where I, I, I do all my meditating and thinking and writing is when I'm walking. I don't go into an office and sit down and write. When I'm walking, my mind is a lot more... Um, you know open to ideas coming mm-hmm. in and out so i called the friend of my matthew modine the actor matthew modine mm-hmm. who's in full metal jacket and <clears throat> he's on stranger things now and i say, hey Matt, you want to go for a little uh, hike he goes sure so we come he comes up and we go for a hike and it's kind of an arduous hike you know it's a, a big loop and it's a lot pretty steep and we're almost at the top we're both out of breath and we're catching up because we haven't seen each other for a while and, we're, and our our uh, our sentences are fragmented because we're so out of breath, you know? Mm-hmm. And It's like, Matt, how you got? Did you, um, <laughs> when you first came to, you know, I mean, is that, is that <laughs> like, um, and I thought this would be funny if I was interviewing him and I videotaped it and you yeah. don't understand what either one of us was saying. <laughs> so um, that was funny. And then on the backside of the canyon, I, I asked him a few more questions. Seriously, I said, Matt, you ever turned down anything that you regretted? And he rolled his eyes. He goes, oh, man, after Full Metal Jacket, it was such a big hit. I turned down so many things. I turned down Back to the Future, the Michael J. Fox role. Wow. I turned down Top Gun, the Tom (laughs) Cruise role, Wall Street, Charlie Sheen. I turned down uh, Big, the Tom Hanks role. And you were like, this is good stuff. I should be recording this. I know. (laughs) And I was. And I said, well, I turned down all those, too. But it was after they had done them. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um, Yeah, I mean, I think so... This was, but was it a kind of thing where you were going on hikes with people and not recording them, and then mostly I hiked alone. Oh yeah.
0: Yeah, on occasion I would hike with somebody. Mm -hmm. uh, Once in a while, but um, whenever I noticed people passing me on the trail, you know, couples or whatever, they were always in these deep conversations, Mm -hmm. you know, yeah, things that they probably wouldn't conversations they wouldn't have with their partner, Mm -hmm. but they were talking to with their um, their friend, and uh, and that kind of as I look back on that, I think there's something about hiking. Where you don't not having eye contact and you're outdoors and you're exercising, where I don't know if it's the endorphins or what, but you're much more open and revealing. Yeah,
1: you definitely get some some good stuff out of these people um, that I think they wouldn't um, share with you know, say me or uh, some other uh, interviewer. No, I can't not... see anybody
0: sharing anything with you because no. you know you have that kind of look <laughs> like you know I'm gonna I'm gonna screw them over. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: and the the selfie stick uh was was must have been a big um a part of it, uh, it revelation was. as well because the whole thing is shot on a on a selfie stick in this kind of yeah, it was. very lo fi uh I originally setup. started
0: with a selfie stick and my iPhone. Yeah. And um a lot of people were writing comments like get a you know, get a steady cam. You can afford it. Come on. <laughs> get a get an external mic, you know, with a windsock on it. Mm-hmm. It's too windy. <clears throat> 'Cause you know, I would do some hikes. Like I hiked with Michael Keaton and half of the hike was wind. You know, I couldn't yeah. use half of it. And um and, and it's funny too when I get to the hiking site to this day my guests will say where's the crew? I say, no it's just me I have the son. And, and then they realize it's a real low budget operation. But um do they like that? Cuz do like uh, it. There's less
1: people around. Yeah, less it feels people, a little more private Yeah, or?
0: less people tugging on them and you know doing retakes and mm-hmm. um but now I have this um this really nice uh rig that this guy sent me from Evo Gimbals. It's um it's a um gra- Carbon graphite selfie stick. Oh wow! So it's pretty light, and then there's a GoPro at the end of it, mm-hmm. and then an external mic with like um, they call it a dead cat, you know, covering over it like a uh, furry covering that mm. stops the wind.
1: Is that what? You, so that's what you use for season three, season two, two entry. and three. Yeah, yeah. So I think by the time this podcast comes out, season three will have come out. Do they come out one by one or all every uh, Thursday? Every Thursday, September fifth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great.
0: Um, that is every Thursday until I run out of guests. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Do you, uh, so you've already shot uh, a bunch of them for. I've shot for about this? ten of them. Yeah. yeah. Can you share any of the uh, names, or is it? Well, a secret? one of the
0: things I like to do is um, I like to um, make it a surprise each week, mm-hmm. and I put a little tease on my Instagram mm-hmm. and Twitter, and people have to guess who my hiking oh, guest is going to be okay. the next day. So um, that's always been fun. So you know, if I told you who they were, I wouldn't have to kill you, but it would take away the surprise. It would be a spoiler <laughs> yeah. alert. Yeah. So, um, But there's some really good ones. People that I've been trying to get for a while. Yeah. And now that the show is taking off, they want to do it. People want to do it now. Mm -hmm. I get a lot of calls from publicists. Yeah.
1: Is it hard to convince people to go on hikes? Are there people that don't want to do that?
0: Some are. And then there's some people that will go, but it's got to be flat, they said. I call those my flat liners. (laughs) Like Spade. David Spade would go, but it had to be perfectly flat.
1: (laughs) No incline at all. Not
0: even on the 1% incline. He noticed it and he goes, aren't we going uphill a little bit now? One of your
1: early guests uh, was Caitlyn Jenner. Yep. That was a, how, how, did, how did you, uh, how'd you land uh, Caitlyn Jenner as a, as a guest?
0: I bought her flowers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I used to know Bruce Jenner mm-hmm. You know, uh, when he was around. And um, I knew him for a long time. He was like one of the first people I met in L.A. You know? And I, I wouldn't seek him out. I would just run into him at different events mm-hmm. and functions and stuff. And I only met Caitlyn Jenner like you know, a year ago. And mm-hmm. somehow she knew me yeah <laughs> you know, so you know we talked and I told her about my hike and she thought it was a good idea and um, so we hiked yeah and my favorite question for her was Caitlin if you could change one thing about yourself what would you change <laughs> <laughs>
1: and she, she took you seriously
0: I think she did actually <laughs> yeah she said her nose is there anything about you you would change well my nose which is no I'm <laughs> just kidding uh, is there anything left to change is there nothing left to change <laughs> I'm done <laughs>
1: And then another one that I really enjoyed was the uh, the Al Franken interview, which I think was one of the first interviews that he's really done since he left the Senate was with you on a hike.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think, I'm not sure, but it, he was very, um, you know, still raw from everything that went down. And, you know, he was still, and probably still is kind of, you know, recoiling from all that and yeah. kind of, you know, getting back on his feet. It was almost like we went out for lunch afterwards, and this was... It's just a couple of months ago. Mm-hmm. And it was like he had, you know, he's going through a breakup with his girlfriend. Yeah. He you know, was kind of staring off sometimes and, you know. Yeah, it's kind like of,
1: break, breaking up with the Senate.
0: Yeah, kind of doubting himself because he loved what he did and he was really good at it. Yeah. And um, yeah, and a lot of people are saying that he left too soon. You know, he should have mm-hmm. stayed. and So I don't know if he's kind of regretting leaving so quickly. But, you know, it was the situation at the time, you know, with Roy Moore. And it's almost like the Democrats had to throw... You know, a sacrificial lamb out there.
1: Yeah. Do you do you feel like he he shouldn't have
0: left? I think he should have stayed longer and at least had a um, you know some kind of a congressional investigation or something.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's been a lot of talk about that after that New Yorker article came yeah, out as right. well, which really dug into the the allegations and basically came to the conclusion that it wasn't as yeah, but there bad as people made it fervor out to be at back the time. then
0: about everything and you know all of these cases coming up. So it was kind of like. You know the Democrats would be tainted if this was going to mm-hmm. start growing in, in any way, so, um, you know he kind of thought that was best, I guess, for the Democratic Party to down. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean I, he he kind of alluded to some of that stuff in in the in the episode on the hike, but didn't. It seems like you didn't really get into it too directly with him. Well, Does yeah, that, he didn't want to talk about it too yeah. much because
0: you know people will pick it apart and yeah. they'll get critical about it, and you know they'll think that he, you know. Whatever wasn't sorry for what he did, mm-hmm. or you know, trying to get out of it. So he wanted to make sure that there was no, um, <clears throat> you know, repercussions of that nature.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, are there any other, um, you know, guests that you have that you've had on the show that that really surprised you in some way, or, or were were unexpected? Um, that you, you got something out of them that you.
0: That Conan you didn't O'Brien expect? was very forthcoming. Mm-hmm. You know, talking about his. Um, a long running history of anxiety. Yeah. It's a thing in his family. It just runs in his family. And um, you know, other people um are, are also um you know, very open. I like I said when you go hiking out there, you kind of get open and you start revealing stuff and and sometimes people say, "Hey, man, let's not put that in," you know, at mm. the end of the hike. And I'll say, "I put in what I want to put in." Yeah. <laughs> no, do you? No. no. I'm very. Uh, I'm very good about that. I mean, we hike for an hour at least, so there's plenty of material. We mm. don't need everything we talked about. Yeah. But um. But yeah, it's um. I mean, I'm I'm a lot. Of, I'm often surprised at how fit somebody is. Yeah. You know, like um. Molly Shannon mm-hmm. was incredible hiking shape. Mm-hmm. Who was the most out of shape uh, guest you've? Besides had? me. <laughs> I would say, probably Spade. Only because he's got like you know neck problems and mm-hmm. and yeah. he's hypoglycemic and stuff like that, <laughs> you know and, and then also uh you know these are my flatliners people that like to hike flat, so you know they sometimes they'll show up with a cup of coffee like Bobcat golfway- mm-hmm. you know or um, the coffee hike
1: that's very l a yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: <laughs> Howie Mandel never hiked before in his life, he said really, he had to go out and buy all the clothes, <laughs> so he bought stereotypical hiking clothes,
1: yeah. <laughs> Um, do you have a do you have a dream guest? Maybe it's someone who's coming up in season three, or, or someone else that you really um, would, you've always wanted to get on the show.
0: Everybody I ask is a dream guest. Yeah, because I, I wouldn't ask them if they if I didn't dream of having them on the show. But you know, sure, there's people like you know I'd love to have Oprah on there, and mm-hmm. you know any of the Obamas, Obamas, um, controversial people too would be good. Um, I'd like to have more athletes on, the mm-hmm. show quarterbacks, like yeah, Aaron Rodgers, and you know whomever and basketball players. Mm-hmm. Stephon Curry, um, and maybe um, singers.
1: You you, play, you played football growing up, right?
0: I played football in college. Oh, yeah, college. and I played growing up too, but not not organized, not in high school, because we were always moving, and I was in different high schools. Mm-hmm. So, but we played sandlot football in our neighborhood, and that was really tough. We had the equipment, you know, and the helmets and all that stuff, and mm-hmm. shoulder pads, and we played the gang, this gang from across town. At the local high school football field, like on a you know on a Sunday, <laughs> and we had no refs, so it was us tackle, and so yeah. it was it was pretty tough. And so, uh, in college, a buddy of mine who I used to play with found out that if we took a night course in criminology at Fairfield University, that'll qualify us to play in their club football team. Oh yeah! So we did that, and uh, the starting quarterback got hurt, so I filled in for him, and I was the quarterback for the whole season. It was wow. great. It was like a fantasy uh, thing.
1: And at that point, were you already kind of interested in comedy, getting involved in comedy? Yeah, or?
0: I loved comedy, and I mean, I've always loved comedy. I, I grew up watching the Jerry Lewis movies and following stand-ups. I used to love to watch them on the talk shows. Mm-hmm. I would look at the TV Guide that's kind of what you went off of back then. And I would highlight every comedian. I would look at all the talk shows that were on, mm-hmm. you know, like Murph Griffin, Mike Douglas, and i look at The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, and I'd see all the comics and I'd highlight them, and, I, and I'd be there to watch them. Mm-hmm. Because I thought it was such an interesting craft that they come out with no tools, just, you know, in their, their outfit, and then they talk. Mm-hmm. And they make people laugh five minutes, and then they're done, you know? And uh, it's kind of like, it's kind of verbal misdirection comedy, you know? And yeah. I thought that was so cool. So I kind of got into that then, and there was also um, in the back section of um, there was a, a newspaper, a magazine called the Parade Magazine. It usually mm-hmm. came with the Sunday newspaper. Yeah, yeah. And in the back, it was a section called "My Favorite Jokes," and it was by different comics at the time mm-hmm. that were popular. Mm-hmm. And I would read those, and I memorize those, and I go to parties, you know, in the neighborhood, and I tell those like they were my own. Mm-hmm. Like you know, I take one like a joke. And I like, I, I like it really happened. I'd say, Hey, man, did you hear about this guy today downtown? He stole a, uh, a, a fire truck. And everybody's <laughs> like, Are you kidding me? Because a lot of my friends' yeah. of those were firemen. I said, Yeah, you didn't hear about it? And they said, "What happened?" They get him. I said, "Yeah, he was arrested like an hour later by some guy who stole a cop car." <laughs> <laughs> and so I like that. And a friend of mine said, "You should go into uh, like one of those comedy clubs in New York, like the Catch Rising Star, and do, mm-hmm. do some stand-up." Of course, I had no material. Yeah. I mean, you know, I was just doing other people's jokes. So I went in there to check it out. And it terrified me because you know it was a New York crowd, and I wasn't used to mm-hmm. that. I grew up in Connecticut, and um, kind of a you know bucolic neighborhood, and area, bedroom community, you know, in this mm-hmm. New York, now I'm sitting in a room that's a little bit bigger than this room, they're crammed with people, and everybody's smoking, the comics mm-hmm. are on stage, Richard Belzer, you know, all these comics that were kind of tough New Yorkers, Barry Diamond, and uh, I thought, man, this is just too brutal here in New York, I, I heard California, they're more laid back, right, you yeah. always hear California's laid back, and there's more prop comics or whatever out here, <laughs> you know, like Steve Martin and stuff, mm-hmm. so I came out here and tried it.
1: So you so you didn't actually get up on stage in no, New York. You just went you just went and watched. Yeah, but I came out yeah.
0: here and then eventually I went back. Little did I know I'd be on Saturday Night Live one day. Yeah. <laughs> in New York. <laughs> so
1: what do you remember about those first times getting on stage to do stand up?
0: Oh, it was the it was not only being on the stage, it was the lead up to it, how terrified you were all just thinking about it the whole time and you know, looking at your material and learning your jokes and hoping they're good and and then going to the open mic nights and waiting in line and getting there, you know, early and then by the time you get on stage, you know, the MC was doing so many favors for people. You get on like at, you know, one thirty in the morning mm-hmm. or quarter to two, right before they close. And there's just a few drunk tables left. But it was, you know, I you know after the first time I got on at the improv in Hollywood, I was hooked. You know, it yeah. was the stage where Freddie Prince used to perform and, you know, Albert Brooks, all these people, you know, Richard Pryor. And, uh, so it became my life. That's all I that's all I ever did was stand up and I would be down at the improv every night and eventually I got a job bartending there for two years. Mm-hmm. So I would go on if somebody didn't show up, I'd go on stage, you know. And uh when people came into town to visit me, they'd say, where, where can you take us? I said, I could take the improv, that's all I know. You know, I know there's a Chinese theater over there. You could try to find out where that is, but I'm all about the improv. You know? yeah. I pretty much live there. <laughs>
1: What was your early material like? Was it more uh, one liners or stories? It was kind or... of
0: based on the material that I kind of learned from, you know, the parade section, my favorite jokes, and mm-hmm. watching other comics. It was very raw. When you first started out doing stand up, that was the interesting thing about going to the clubs back then, the open mic nights. Everybody's emulating somebody that they knew. And back then, stand up was still a novelty. A lot of people had never been to a comedy club before. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the comics were mostly Jewish, black, and Irish. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's funny, now it's like everything. It's, you know, Armenian and Indian and Saudi Arabian and Iranian. You know, it's mm-hmm. everybody yeah. in the world is doing stand-up now. And uh, and so people were doing like Richard Pryor, mm-hmm. or they were doing Steve Martin or mm-hmm. Woody Allen. You know, there's yeah. the black, the yeah. whites, and the yeah. Jewish right Everyone's there. Everyone's
1: kind of doing the, the your impression of, uh, of, the, of the famous comedians.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then so, you know, you start out doing that until you develop a style. Mm-hmm. And you find out your voice, what you want to say. And so I was doing jokes like, um, oh, man, I live in a bad neighborhood. But, you know, it's funny because the people that steal from you are kind of nice. Mm-hmm. It's like I came home and my car was up on four cinder blocks. They had taken all four of my, my tires. And then I opened up the trunk and the, the spare tires has gone, but they left me a spare cinder block. <laughs> <laughs> so it's that kind of stuff. Yeah.
1: Um, and your, your big break obviously came uh, going on Johnny Carson. Um, yeah, I
0: don't know if it was my big break because mm-hmm. I had done Letterman before that. Oh, okay. And I had done some of the local afternoon talk shows like Murph Griffin and Michael mm-hmm. Douglas. My but, Douglas. I mean, it was a big deal
1: when you went on It was on a Johnny big deal Carson.
0: because he was the guy. He, If you did his show, that validated you as a comic. It was like passing your bar exam. Mm-hmm. Because And he was the only game in town. He was the late night guy. Yeah. You know, and he was Johnny. He, uh, you know, he wasn't some comic that just got you know, ordained to be a talk show host and it's got a couple of years under his belt. This guy had been doing it since he took over for, what was it Steve Allen or mm-hmm. whoever he yeah. took over for. And, uh, and to please him would be great. So I auditioned for that show a couple of times when I shouldn't have, you know, it was too early in my career. Mm-hmm. And I had sweat coming out of me that I never had come out of me before, <laughs> like behind my knees, you know, when I was auditioning. Yeah. And finally this guy, the Jim McCauley was a segment producer at the time. And, um, he never passed me. I did it like two or three times. And whenever he was in the room at a comedy club, people were terrified. Mm-hmm. They either canceled because they didn't want they thought that they weren't ready, yeah, or they wanted to get on. Mm-hmm. And um, and so he had seen me a few times. But then he was auditioning people f- for a show. Michael Nesmith, who used to be in the Monkees, mm-hmm. he was doing producing a comedy sketch show. And I said, well, this time I'm just going to do the stuff that I think makes me laugh. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny, not what I think the Tonight Show will like. Yeah. And so I did what I liked, and he called me the next day. He goes, I got good news and I got bad news. The bad news is, I don't think you're right for the Mike Nesmith show, but I think what you did last night is great for the Tonight Show. Wow. Can you do it on Monday? And this was Friday. <laughs> So I had to like, you know, and from that minute on, I just started going over my act in my head. Yeah. Like, over. I could be talking to you again. now and yeah. you think I'd be listening, but I'm going over my act. Yeah. And so cut to Monday, I come out and do the Tonight Show and I'm I'm there, I'm behind the curtains, ready to come out. And I know exactly what it is because I used to go to that show and watch it because mm-hmm. they would give out free tickets mm-hmm. and they give everybody two tickets. So I would go down that line around four o'clock in the afternoon and very sympathetic. Does anybody have an extra ticket? And I'd always get one. <laughs> yeah. and it was like going to a Vegas show. You would yeah. see, you know, you see him come out, he'd say hi to the audience, the producers would come out, mm-hmm. you know, Dr. Severson, the band leader, would come out and say hi, and they'd do the same jokes, you know, and then um, and I knew each band member, I knew their personalities, because they went so many times, so now I'm standing behind the curtain, and I know we're coming back from commercial, I know that band's going to wind down with all their horns and stuff, mm-hmm. and Johnny's going to introduce me and, uh, and that's what happens, and the curtains open up, and I'm walking out, and they're applauding, Johnny's to my right, and I totally went blank. I couldn't remember my act. Yeah. And I walk all the way out there, nothing. I'm just, it's like a ghost oh, town in my head. You know, I was so scared. It's terrifying. And after the last clap happened, I remembered my act and I got, started going into it, and people were laughing. There's applause breaks. And I, at the time, I'm thinking, I'm it's like, I have two conversations. One is that, because I know mm-hmm. it so well. And the other one is, I'm on the Tonight Show. Yeah. I'm killing. <laughs> I'm on a break right now because they're plotting, and Johnny's laughing. I could hear him. and. And I finish, and I wave, and I quick look over to Johnny. He gives me the mm-hmm. okay signal. And mm-hmm. I go behind the curtain, and the t- and Jim McCulley, the talent producer, is behind there. And he's smiling; he's all happy. And he goes, "You did great! You did great! Stay here now, because I think Johnny's going to want to talk to you on a panel after the commercial."
1: After a break, usually it's a, he he would either call you over immediately, or that was it, right? Is that, yeah, what, was, yeah, is that what was in your head? Was maybe yeah, he'll call thought, me over? I thought I had a great set. Yeah,
0: I didn't get called over, but mm-hmm. that's okay. Yeah. I, did, I had a great yeah. set. And then, so he called. you know, he brings me out after the commercial. He says, you know, we, we've run out of time. We don't have enough time to bring mm-hmm. out our next Garrison. You know, uh, so let's bring out that young man, Kevin. That mm-hmm. was just, you know, so I come out <laughs> there, and then I had, like, a couple of jokes in my pocket, really strong jokes that I killed with, and he's throwing his head back laughing. I could see a little s- cigarette smoke coming out from the break, you know, mm-hmm. still in his lungs. <laughs> and uh, it was just the highlight of my career. Nothing really kind of superseded that, like, even, you know. Saturday Night Live, or Weeds, or anything else yeah. that was like that was the thing that gave me the most excitement. How did it change your career? That experience? It didn't change it overnight. I mean, I think it kind of you know made people open their eyes because I didn't after I did it and before it aired, I had never been so high. You know, a mm-hmm. natural high of just walking mm-hmm. the clouds. And back then, everybody at the improv would be come out to the bar to watch your first shot on the Tonight Show Mm -hmm. because I had been part of that crowd watching other people. Yeah. And it's a little TV over the bar at the time, you know, Mm -hmm. and and the home room would get quiet and they would, you know, Johnny would announce you to come out and then people would be watching and then they'd see it and they'd be, you know, excited. And, and I wasn't there because I, you know, I went over to a friend's house who helped, you know, who who I used to write with a little Mm -hmm. bit and we watched it in his living room. And, uh, but you knew people were watching, and then I got all these messages on my you know, answering machine at home, mm-hmm. at the time you had these you know, these audio yeah. cassette messages. And I saved them all, and I still have them to oh, this wow. day. Different comics call me, like <laughs> Paul Reiser, and Brad Garrett, <laughs> That's great. and Gary Shandling, and Bob Saget. You know. mm-hmm. And it was really, a, I really have never duplicated that career-wise, that feeling.
1: Coming up, how Kevin Nealon ended up on Saturday Night Live, and how he knew it was time to leave. I mean, the next thing, obviously, is SNL, you know, comes up. Um, was that something that was always a, a dream of yours? Or was it something that sort of wasn't on your radar as a possibility? Or how, did, how a, did you think about it, it?
0: it? Well, that's a good question. It wasn't really on my radar because I knew I'd never get on there. <laughs> because I didn't do impressions or characters, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. But, um, and I always knew when they came through town to look at people, comics, you had to really have a high-powered agent to mm-hmm. get you an audition. hmm and, you know, and I was just kind of doing the open mics and I'd done a couple of tonight shows and now I was doing like, I was doing some road work now. It wasn't just open mics. It was like club. I was getting some club spots and uh, cause I'd done the tonight show and, um, Dana Carvey who I lived, I shared a house with in the Hollywood Hills when he was in town, he lived over in the garage. He recommended me, he got on the show that summer. Yeah. I was really excited for him. I was reading backstage live, you know, the original mm-hmm. book, uh, SNL and, uh, out of the blue, he calls me. He goes, Hey, Kevin, I'm out at Laura Michaels' house. You know, um, there's, uh, they're still looking for one more cast member. Mm-hmm. And I told him about you. Oh, first he goes, Guess who's in the kitchen? Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> I said, You're kidding me. He goes, No. Anyway, uh, he says, looking for one more cast member. I told him about you, and I think he's gonna wanna, Lauren's going to want to see your audition tapes. I said, Bill Murray and Dan Eckert in the kitchen? <laughs> I didn't even hear the other stuff. I didn't yeah. register because I knew I'd never get on that show because yeah. I didn't do characters like Dana or Impressions. Mm. I was just a stand-up, a mm. really, really good stand-up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I sent them in, you know, what it, would it hurt, and then a couple weeks later, Dana calls me back. He goes, Kevin, back out of Lauren Michaels' house. Guess who's in the kitchen? Steve Martin. I said, are kidding me? He goes, no. Anyway, Lauren like your tapes. I think they're going to fly you in for an audition. I said, Steve Martin is in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> so next thing I know, I'm flying in for this audition and I'm going to Thirty Rock. To me, it's just a, a free trip to New York. That's mm-hmm. all I know I'll never get out yeah. there because I'm not going to whip out all these characters and mm-hmm. you know impressions. So I show up to um Thirty Rockefeller Plaza. I go up to studio eight H and um and i do my audition and the, the minute i walked in there i got really tired because whenever i watched that show i used to fall asleep <laughs> you know not so late. it was like an associated <laughs> so it was an associated kind of a feeling there but i did my little audition and i flew home thinking okay that's that you know forget mm-hmm. about that that was interesting and two weeks later, I find myself, you know, sitting across from Lauren Michaels in a high rise in Beverly Hills. He's offered me a job on Saturday Night mm-hmm. Live.
1: Oh, he came out to L.A. to offer you the job. Yeah, wow. yeah.
0: <laughs> and I said, well, thank you very much, Lauren. Let me think about it over the weekend. <laughs> That's the way I roll. That's the way I negotiate. That's yeah. how I get to, how do you think I got on this show today? The Daily Beast. Come on. Yeah. And, uh, and he saw right through me. He goes, well, you think about it over the weekend. We'll see you in New York on Monday. Mm-hmm. So the next thing I know, I'm out at Lauren Michaels' house. And, uh, and I get a call from Dana. He goes, Kev. I'm in the back bedroom at Lord Michael's house. Guess who's in the kitchen? I said, I'm in the kitchen, <laughs> tough guy. Because <laughs> they showed up, basically. You never know what's going to happen if you show up. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there is a. it's interesting, you know, talking about being a stand-up on that show, because there is an interesting history, I think, of stand-up versus sketch uh, people on that show, you know, thinking about Eddie Murphy was a stand-up. Um, you know,
0: there yeah, well, a lot on, of Yeah, well, when I there was Dennis stand-ups. Miller was a stand-up, yeah. and um, Victoria Jackson mm-hmm. was kind of a stand-up. Mm-hmm. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And Dana, and me. Yeah. And uh, he was just looking for chemistry that year. Mm-hmm. Because the year before, you know, it was kind of a disastrous year. Even though the actors were talented, there was no synergy, I don't think, with the writers. You had uh, Robert Downey Jr. Mm-hmm. on. That Michael. was the year right before you, yeah. you started. So, you know, we never really were... Um, confident that the show would last we thought mm-hmm. you know we, we lived out of our suitcase week to week mm-hmm. thinking it was going to get canceled and it was such a hot thinking you were going to get fired thinking the show was yeah, going to get canceled. the show was going to get fired <laughs> you know? yeah. so um, gradually it kind of worked its way back and I remember people ask me sometimes were you really nervous going on there the first time because mm-hmm. you know I was I said well I, Basically, I'd, I'd been working in front of live crowds doing stand-up, so it wasn't, you know, The Tonight Show was terrifying for me. Mm-hmm. But this was kind of like, in a way, I pretended nobody's watching anymore because of the year before.
1: Mm-hmm. The ratings mm-hmm. were
0: so low. And I remember the first sketch I did on there was um, a sketch called Mr. Subliminal that I wrote. Yeah. And, um, and, and it's like two conversations going on at once, mm-hmm. so it's, it takes a lot of focus. Yeah. And I'm getting ready to go on, and the sketch is maybe, you know, maybe, I don't know, about a half hour into the show or so. And... We're coming back from commercial, like 10 seconds, and Lauren Michaels comes up to me, puts his hand on my shoulder, and he goes, are you sure this is what you want? <laughs> 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 and uh, that's his way of kind of listening up, you know? Yeah. And um, and from then on, I just I had no problem with it, you know? And uh, I just pretended nobody else was watching the mm-hmm. show except for the people in the studio audience. Yeah. And half of them were maybe like, you know, <laughs> talking on the phone to somebody yeah.
1: <laughs> where did mr subliminal come from was that something that you had done in your, that was in your my stand-up yeah. yeah
0: it was uh called tagging mm-hmm. and um that actually came about there was a guy like i said i used to hang out at the improv so i met a lot of interesting characters creative people mm-hmm. actors and there was this guy ed peck who was a <clears throat> he was probably in his 70s at the time but he was had a really deep voice and he was a character actor and he was on Shows like Laverne and Shirley, he played the cop, mm-hmm. you know, on Happy Days, <clears throat> and he took to me. He really liked me a lot. And uh, he one night he goes, "Let's go to Canners," you know, "Let's go to the deli after mm-hmm. this the, when you get off work." I said, "I want to show you a thing I'm doing called tagging." <laughs> so uh, we go in and we sit down in the booth, and and he was kind of doing a subliminal thing, not mm-hmm. to try to get something he wanted, but just try to slip yeah. words in. So the waitress, like, uh, mm-hmm. he would say, "Oh, well, let's see, I think I'm going to have," uh, he said to the waitress, "I think I'm going to have the the cheeseburger horror," and also, "Why don't I have a?" Uh, <laughs> You know, and he do all this profanity stuff yeah. and uh, the waitress never picked up on it. <laughs> so when I got to uh, Saturday Night Live, I got together with Al Franken yeah. and we wrote subliminal based cause I went to school for advertising mm-hmm. marketing, and marketing oh, yeah. and he knew about subliminal advertising too. So we thought, let's insert words to get your way, mm-hmm. you know, and have, you know, get the Mets tickets, you know, mm-hmm. go to a restaurant and have somebody else pick up the tab, you know.
1: Did it start as a, as a Weekend Update desk bit, or was it a No, a it sketch? started as a sketch. Yeah, but yeah. you also did it on Weekend Yeah, and then we kind of right? moved it over to Weekend Update, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Um, I just want to take a moment here if I made it clear up some confusion. For a number of years, I was a cast member here at Saturday Night Live, but I haven't been since 1995, some six years ago. And yet, some people still come up to me and say, Mr. Nealon, it's Saturday. Shouldn't you be getting out to New York for the show? <laughs> or, oh, hey, Mr. Nealon, you were funny on the show last night. Love that Mr. Subliminal. And then I have to explain that I'm not on the show anymore. What you're watching are reruns on Comedy Central. (laughs) You see, I'm not a part of this cast, overrated. I don't even know these people. (laughs) I really don't. And to be honest with you, I have no connection whatsoever with this show anymore, lawsuits. In fact, (laughs) I have not seen Lauren Michaels in, like, four years, restraining order. And quite frankly, (laughs) it takes everything I have to stay up this late right now, coked up. So once again, recapping I am no longer on this show. I'm off doing bigger and better things now. Hollywood Squares. I guess you could say that. I guess you could say I moved on. Trailer Park, and that's good.
1: Yeah. So when you got there, Dennis Miller was doing. We no update. update. Yeah. Um, was that? Did you have your eye on that not role at all. as a as a stand-up? I mean, that's again where a lot of uh, I think stand-ups have ended up is uh, in that yeah. in that role.
0: Yeah. Not at all. That was Dennis's thing. That's all he did. He didn't really do sketches. Mm-hmm. Except for one that he wrote called uh, Lebeau, uh, I forget the name. <laughs> that was one of the characters. Lebeau was a real <laughs> surreal kind of a sketch. really yeah. funny though. Um, so yeah, so that that was his thing, mm-hmm. and I I was more focused on learning how to write sketches and do characters and and um, you know things of that sort and um, and Dennis did the uh, weekend update for, I don't know was it 6 years maybe
1: I think it was about fi- it was about 5 years in or 5 seasons in before you took over was it okay yeah, yeah.
0: and I did it for 3 seasons i always liked the way Chevy Chase did it kind of as a dry newscaster mm-hmm. you know and everybody brings their own persona to that uh, weekend update desk now you know and people don't do it as a weekend update Anchorman anymore, really. They do it mm-hmm. as themselves. And mm-hmm. It's almost like they're doing their stand up up there. You know? Yeah.
1: Is that, and that's not how you approach it? That's not how
0: I saw it. You know, I, th- I didn't see it as a mini special uh-huh. that you're doing. Yeah. I saw it as, you know, this is the news anchor. Mm-hmm. You know, he's trying to be, it's almost like um, Anchor Man, the movie. Yeah. You know, and, uh, so that's how I chose to do it. And people since then have done it differently, of course. You know, um, Colin Quinn did it mm-hmm. his way and Norm did it his way. And, you know, everybody has their own way of doing it, but I enjoyed. It was fun. It was a lot of work too. You know, I had to write jokes now too, also, yeah. and I was also I, I was doing sketches still too, mm-hmm. and writing sketches and writing jokes on. And you would only write jokes on Saturday morning because they'd all been picked over before them by the uh, late night talk show hosts. Yeah, you know? that's still he, the,
1: that's still the case. I yeah. think. Yeah. Um, did it? Do you feel? Like, I know people talk about how you know you said you were always worried it was going to the show was going to get canceled. People are always worried at SNL that they're going to get fired. Um, and there's a lot of pressure to get your yeah. stuff on. Did did getting Weekend Update change that for you, or you thought, okay, now I'm I'm kind of more comfortable here?
0: Um, I don't think you ever get really comfortable or secure. I think getting that job, um, you know, was almost another layer of fear of getting fired. Mm-hmm. Because oh, now you got the Weekend Update spot. How long are you gonna last in that spot? Mm-hmm. You know, are you mm-hmm. gonna get fired like <laughs> soon. So the,
1: the fear of getting fired never goes away.
0: Yeah, you get you can get, get fired within the show, in you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. one position. Yeah, um, and eventually, you know, I did three up three years of that, mm-hmm. and then I was replaced with Norm MacDonald. Yeah, and then I left the following year. Mm-hmm.
1: Did that have anything to do with why you left? Or no, no,
0: no. I had been there for um, nine, eight seasons at that point. And I'd do one more season after that, so mm-hmm. nine, and I was kind of I'd had my fill of it. Yeah. I appreciated the show. I loved the show. It was great. A lot of people use it as a stepping stone and want to score and get out and do movies. Mm-hmm. I just love that whole, um, you know, that whole notion of having a different guest every week as the mm-hmm. host and getting to hang out with bands that I grew up listening to, like you know, Mick Jagger and mm-hmm. James Taylor and yeah. c- you know Paul Simon and Eric Clapton, all of these megastars stars and uh, Aerosmith. Even I saw Roy Orbison on there. <laughs> yeah, <You know? laughs> how great is that? I worked with Robert Mitchum, Charlton mm-hmm. Heston, yeah. you know, all these yeah. people that were dinosaurs. So, um, um, yeah, I. Um, you just felt like it was time. I after felt that, that it was. I, I was even going out and doing sketches with food in my mouth from the craft service table. <laughs> that's how lackadaisical I was about it. And I thought it's it's kind of time. And, yeah. And also, I think you know the cast had gotten so big, mm-hmm. and they were looking to clean house. And mm-hmm. I think the year I left. I was kind of pushed out too, you know. I knew I know Farley was kind of fired, and, and Sandler that year was mm-hmm. fired. A lot of people were fired. That was all the same year you left yeah. as when they left. And I was essentially kind of forced out, you know. Mm-hmm. I knew they probably wouldn't bring me back if I wanted to, so um, I stayed for that one last year, and I was able to um, line up something. I got uh, offered a, a pilot that DreamWorks was doing. It was their first mm-hmm. foray into a sitcom world. So mm-hmm. it was Katzenberg and. And Spielberg and those guys. And uh, so I thought that was a good uh, stepping off point. Mm -hmm. It was called Champs with Timothy Busfield. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I did that. And so I had my run on SNL. And it was fun. I really loved it. You know, a lot of people complain about the show, but I loved it. I loved the you know.
1: Yeah, at the the time you left, I mean, after nine seasons, you were the longest running cast member ever at the time. Now people have gone much longer than that. Oh, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And I get it, too. I mean, stay there. You have a job, Mm -hmm. and it's fun. It's New York. Mm -hmm. And you get to, you know, it's live. I mean, how great to have that, had that experience. I mean, I'm, I'm always grateful for that. Yeah. How crazy is it that Chris
1: Farley and Adam Sandler got fired from SNL, looking back?
0: <laughs> it is crazy looking back. But, you know, like I said, at the time, there were so many people on there. I remember yeah. initially I came on with Phil Hartman, Jan Hooks, mm-hmm. you know. Nora mm-hmm. Dunn was still there and Dennis and Dana and John Lovitz. And uh, it was a tight, I think there was like eight of us. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't even a regular cast member in the beginning. The first year, I was a feature player and mm-hmm. a writer. Yeah. And then they made me a cast member the next year, but so from that eight, they started bringing on other people like Mike Myers and Chris Rock mm-hmm. and you know mm-hmm. Spade and all these people and and, they, and other people that didn't really stick with it like Janine Garofala, mm-hmm. Ben Stiller, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And then, but you know, Michael McKean, yeah, came Sarah on. Silverman, Sarah Silverman, yeah. And it just became a huge just whatever stuck to the wall, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and so you know, Don Pardo was doing the intros for like a half hour before <laughs> the show started. So you know, the writing was on the wall. I had been there for a while. They saw all my tricks, mm-hmm. you know, they everything, and mm-hmm. I I I got it. You know, I I really didn't want to stay any longer. I had my fill of it.
1: Yeah, I mean, stand up has been a, a constant in your in your life. You know, the it whole, really the whole time. It really has been. You've been doing it for about forty years now, I think. Almost, yeah. Yeah. Um, what are the sort of, you know, biggest lessons that you've learned about about what it is to be a stand-up over that, that amount of time?
0: Well, it's kind of what I've learned about life It's how fast it goes. Mm-hmm. I remember walking around town here, to, you know, people ask me, how long have you been doing stand-up? Because that's always the question when you're mm-hmm. kind of new on the scene, how long have you been doing it? How long have you been doing yeah. it? You know, it's like it seemed like it was always <laughs> four years. Yeah. have been doing it four years, about four <laughs> years, yeah, four years. And now it's 40 years, yeah. you know, and that went by like nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, but... The thing that I learned that I tell like a lot of young comics that are starting out, if they ask for advice, I say, you know, get up as much as you can, mm-hmm. as often as you can so you're relaxed on stage, and just write all the time and be original and unique because more so now than when I started, there's zillions of comics out there, mm-hmm. and there's a lot more platforms too, so you've got to stand out somehow. you got to... I mean, you can have great material, and that'll get you pretty far, but unless you're really unique... You know, you're not going to go... And the people I liked just before I came on to do stand-up, there was people like Annie Kaufman, mm-hmm. who was really unique yeah. and different and interesting, and Albert Brooks, who had a great spin on things, and Steve Martin, who was very original. Mm-hmm. So I like that, that whole thing. I'm not, it's not to say that there's not a place for people who, who just do a monologue that are really funny, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of people that do that, that are really good. So I say... Try to think of something that'll make you stand out from the pack.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you've continued to grow, get better, evolve over over all this time? I mean, do you think? Do you feel like you you reach new revelations about it or, or anything like that?
0: Yeah, I mean, I have like um, not really any fear anymore of going on stage. Mm-hmm.
1: That must be nice.
0: <laughs> it is nice in a way, but you should have a little bit of nervousness, yeah, and fear, you know. But I'm totally <laughs> dead inside now. <laughs> And also, I've uh, I recognize that I'm not a 25 or 26 year old guy that's doing stand up mm-hmm. where I'm out in the clubs every night because I'm single and mm-hmm. I don't have any overhead. Yeah, you know, I don't have a family. I'm I can't do that. I can't be out doing three or four shows a night at the Improv and then running over to the Comedy Store and the mm-hmm. Laugh Factory. Uh, which I see happening. I look at the lineups on you know that are posted, and it's like the same comics that are mm-hmm. working every night: Ali Wong, Crystal Lee, uh, Joe yeah. Rogan. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, and they're pounding it, and they're coming out with specials every year. You mm-hmm. know, yeah. I uh, to me now, it's almost like a hobby because I get out maybe <laughs> once or twice a week and do stand up, mm-hmm. and I'll try a couple new jokes. But it's not like I'm you know paving a new highway of comedy for mm-hmm. myself.
1: How did uh, becoming a father affect your your comedy? Do you think?
0: Well, time there's a new kind of wrench thrown into the works, you you think about it a lot, and you start writing about it, and you talk about it. But I'm not one of those people like a Bill Cosby or like um, you know someone who talks about their kids a lot. Mm-hmm. I'll have a couple of jokes about it, but I will tell you that my comedy has really taken a turn for the dark. Yeah, you know, I've really kind of I know maybe it's an age thing, but um, I've it's really become it's not cringe comedy, but it's just dark. It's looking at things in a dark way. Mm-hmm. You know, like, um, um, uh, I talk about, you know, losing friends. hmm Because, you know, after a certain amount of time on this planet, you start losing friends. hmm And, um, um, so I talk about that. Like, you know, I had a friend that was diagnosed with, you know, with terminal illness. He was gonna, he had three months to live. So we were all shocked, so we threw a party for him. You know, we, we saluted him, we toasted him, mm-hmm. and, you know, we hugged him and danced with him even and just told him much we loved him. And then we said goodbye to him, basically. And, um, you know, that three months came and went quicker than any of us had expected and he was still alive. Mm-hmm. And then four months, still alive, five months. And now he's embarrassed that he's still alive. <laughs> and we're like, hey, man, we spent a lot of money on that party for you, you know. <laughs> so it's dealing with that kind of stuff, you yeah. Know, that... That kind of stuff, which what which goes through my head. You know, you just have to deal with what's going through your head, mm. and you write about it, and you put a spin on it.
1: Coming up, Kevin tells a great story about what it was like to play the straight man opposite Chris Farley in the iconic Chippendale sketch on SNL. Before we uh, wrap up here, what I want to do is kind of go through some of the things we didn't get to talk about, and if there's kind of one story or, or memory that comes to mind when I mention these, these different okay. moments in your career. Um, one of your early movie roles was as Drunk Number Two in Roxanne with with Steve Martin, who I know was one of your heroes. So what what was that? Uh, what did that mean to do that that fight scene with uh, with Steve Martin and Roxanne? That was the
0: coolest experience because that was the summer that I, I got SNL. Oh really? Yeah, and um, I, I think I got I got hired to do that movie before I got SNL, mm-hmm. and so. It was great for many reasons. We went up to British Columbia to shoot it at a place called Nelson, mm-hmm. where you had to fly in in a little, you know, like prop plane, and it was a ski town. And I'd never heard of this place before. And it was what you saw in the movie. It was just very um, bucolic and kind of romantic. And and I had that one scene there where we're dueling, but me and Rich Schneider, the other comic, mm-hmm. man, Drunk Number One, um, we were there for three weeks. So we just hung out. <laughs> we rode mountain bikes. You know. We uh, went to the gym and then we shot our scene with him. And uh, and also, we did a stand up show for the fireman, the local fireman oh, there. Oh, really? We did a fundraiser because there was a lot of comics on that movie. Mm-hmm. There was, you know, Damon Waynes, there was Steve Middleman, uh, me, Rich Scheidner, and a few other comics. And um, so we put together a fundraiser at the local dance hall there. <clears throat> and Steve got wind of it. Mm-hmm. And he goes, Hey, maybe I'll emce- you want me to emcee the thing? And he hadn't been doing stand up. <laughs> yeah, that's a he big deal. He's stopped doing stand up for like eight years or whatever. So he goes, But don't advertise it. Mm-hmm. And we all go, Okay. But it got- the word leaked out that he was doing it. Mm-hmm. And there was the line wrapped around the oh, building. And God. people were driving up from the States to see him. <laughs> and it was fun. You know, Daryl Hannah was uh, sitting in the front row. Yeah. Was- and, uh, and so that was a really fun experience for me. Mm hmm.
1: Uh, you you played yourself on the Larry Sanders show. I know. Um What was your what what was that like? And and what did um what did Gary Shandling uh you know mean to you as a as a friend and as well, a well Gary
0: was a great friend of mine. He was a really close friend. I knew him forever. I met him when I first came out here, and he was kind of a, a mentor in a way to me. And and we got to the point where we'd write together a lot on the phone late at night, and um, we hang out and played basketball at his house every Sunday. So we were really good friends, and and I loved his show, the Larry Sanders show, and um and i think i was on there once or twice and it was fun because uh because i knew him so well and mm-hmm. he had great great actors on there great guests and great writers so that was that was a really fun time for me and um and i you know i think about him still every day mm-hmm. i actually have a necklace that was given to me that has some of his ashes in it mm-hmm. that i'll wear around my neck sometimes and i always wonder what part of him is it is it his nose <laughs> is it his penis what what's
1: in there <laughs> Um, another, uh, SNL moment that I, I wanted to touch on is the, uh, the famous Chippendale sketch with Chris Farley yeah. and Patrick Swayze, which you play a, a pivotal role in as kind of, kind of the straight man, but kind of, you get to deliver the, the punchline as well. What do you, re- what do you remember about, uh, a filming that? Did it, did it seem like a, that it would live on in, in? Uh The way it has when you were doing it,
0: well, at the time you don't know what's going to live on because everything's happening so quickly mm-hmm. and you're trying to survive, and you know you're doing your best and and that was um that was definitely a sketch that kind of you know was just cemented the idea of Saturday Night Live and what it was all about back then, and that mm-hmm. was that was that was just one of those sketches that'll never go away. And um, and that was fun doing it. I never really broke up on SNL. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it seems to be pretty commonplace now for them to break up. You yeah, know, laughing. Get and, laughs. Yeah. And, uh, and Lauren always says that was really hacky. It was like the Carol Burnett show. Mm-hmm. You know, like Harvey Korman. <laughs> no way. You know, they don't do that there. <clears throat> but so that probably was the closest I came to cracking up. Mm-hmm but um, it was easy. But you held it together. I held it together, but it was easy too because back then you you were trying to keep the show on and you didn't want to fail and and disappoint Lauren and laugh Mm -hmm. and stuff, so you're out of fear, you didn't laugh, (laughs) you know? Well, we've made our decision. But before we tell you, I just want to say once again how truly difficult it was for us to make our choice (laughs) and to thank you for your patience throughout this long, arduous audition.
1: Thanks. Thanks
0: we're gonna go with adrian i knew it man
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry i'm sorry i, I, I just never wanted to think so much in my life and now that i got it i just can't deal with it
0: well that's okay adrian we understand <laughs> barney we all agreed that your dancing was great your presentation was very sexy i guess i guess in the end we all thought that Adrian's body was just much, much better than yours. Uh-huh, uh-huh, okay. You see, it's just that at Chippendales, our dancers have traditionally had that lean, muscular, healthy physique, like Adrian's. Whereas yours is, well, fat and flabby. And so, um, but yeah, I remember doing that and just being there with it was me, Jan Hooks, Mike Myers, um, Patrick Swayze and and Chris Farley and and sadly all those people are gone now except for Mike Myers. Yeah, yeah. But it was fun and and, and in hindsight I didn't know at the time, but I think Chris Farley was uh, really reticent about whether he should do it or not. I think he was a little self conscious about mm-hmm. his weight, showing his body in that yeah. way. But I didn't know it at the time. I thought, here's a guy who just wants to get laughs. He doesn't yeah. care. Fearless. Know what happens? But he, you know, it's funny too about him is I'm always like impressed how these heavy people are so light on their feet and they have mm-hmm. good balance. And he was like that. He was like a good dancer mm-hmm. and he could skate. Yeah. And, uh, you know, because he was athletic in college, he played rugby. And mm-hmm. so, um, but that was, I think, one of the probably the most famous sketches mm-hmm. on that show.
1: Yeah. Um, we didn't really get to talk about weeds, um, but that that was uh, eight seasons, over a hundred episodes. Um, so, I mean, obviously, you spent a lot of time on, a lot on of that show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> got a lot of lot of smoking pot. Um, what do you? What stands out from your your time on, on that show?
0: Well, when I left SNL and that show, I went to Champs. That sitcom didn't mm-hmm. work. I started thinking to myself, I wonder if I'll ever be on another show that will, you know, have some wings and people talk about, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then Weeds came along. And I was hired to be, um, I, you know, passed the audition to be a guest star in the pilot. Mm -hmm. And then the pilot came out and I went in to read for it, you know, I had to read for it. And I go into the dressing room. There's a lot of like, you know, well-known actors in there that, Mm -hmm. you know, are up for the role too. And other people that just came into town. And it just was a fit for me that, you know, Jenji Cohen, the creator, just kind of latched on to me and said, this is your perfect Doug Wilson and uh, and I did the pilot, and I kind of forgot about it. And then we got a call saying the pilot got picked up, and they want you as a regular. I mm-hmm. thought, sweet, <laughs> you know. And but I learned a lot in there. Mary Ty, um, Mary Louise Parker. I was gonna say Mary Tyler yeah. Moore, but Mary <laughs> Louise Parker was. Um, she's such a good actress, you know. And yeah, I learned so much by watching her. Mm-hmm. Just like I'm learning a lot now from Matt LeBlanc, being on. Yeah, yeah. On. I mean, th- these people are just they're aficionados at their craft. I mean, because mm-hmm. they've been doing it for so long. And I mean, like Mary Louise Parker, she'll deliver a line when she's angry but she'll do it with a smile on her face Mm -hmm. and i think wow that's interesting twist right there (laughs) that works you know yeah so i'm picking up a lot from that Mm -hmm.
1: um you were you were part of the snl 40 uh show which was a big moment um you were on there with uh you were were up there with other weekend update hosts and it was kind of framed as a, a tribute to chevy chase um there was kind of a (laughs) it was kind of an awkward vibe up there with the four of you guys did what what did it feel like when you were when you were doing it
0: that show was so like quickly put together Mm -hmm. and it was kind of uh, it's like most SNL shows you wonder how it ever came together Mm -hmm. you know and then it comes and that's like the the biggest one ever yeah and so you know there's Paul McCartney everywhere you look it's like the Hollywood Wax Museum (laughs) everybody's there Eddie Murphy and you know Dan Aykroyd you Mm -hmm. know all these people And, and then um so the time came, we're supposed to get up on the stage there, and we do our thing, and and then I think Norm's supposed to introduce Chevy Chase, mm-hmm. but Norm was just, you know, being Norm and just dilly-dallying <laughs> and stuff. And
1: and meanwhile, it was a live show. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And then Chevy comes out, and um, it was fun, though. It was fun hanging out with those guys and, you know, being up there. I mean, we were just a few of the many Weekend Up There yeah. the anchors that were on that show. <laughs>
1: Did you uh, did you go to the the famous after party? Went to yeah. the after
0: party. Yep, yeah. and uh, it was at the Plaza Hotel, and I remember seeing Prince there, mm-hmm. and he floated by with his whole you know posse, <laughs> you know shaved heads and stuff, and we had eye contact. He's very short, yeah. And and I he smiled and I smiled. And I said, hey, Prince, how you doing? <laughs> he goes, Hey, how are you? And I put my hand out and he shook my hand, and I introduced my wife because my wife was a huge Prince fan. Yeah, and you know they shook hands and. They moved on, and she goes, "Oh my God, Prince never shakes hands." <laughs>
1: really? Because <laughs> yes. he was a germaphobe. Or? <laughs> I guess I don't know.
0: But uh, so that was fun, and uh, Trump was there with Melania. Oh, wow. at The time, yeah. and I see him, and I know Trump mm-hmm. from when he was on SNL, you mm-hmm. know, and hanging around and stuff. And I called him. I say, "Trump," <laughs> and he sees me, and he sees my wife. And he goes. He smiles. He goes, you did all right for yourself." Oh wow! And my wife is like, "Ugh, gross."
1: <laughs> yeah, what does she think about that now? Uh, that she was still this was before the, he was president. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, that's so funny. Yeah, Sarah Palin was there that night too. I think
0: she was there. I went with my son for the rehearsal earlier in the day, mm-hmm. and we go into a little green room there, with Sarah Palin, Palin sitting there, and uh, and she's very nice. You know, mm-hmm. she's just like a mother and. Mm-hmm. And I say hi to her, and uh, I introduce my son, and she starts talking to my son and being very motherly. Mm -hmm. I think, well, she's really nice, you know? (laughs) I think maybe, I wonder if she babysits. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we end every episode by
1: asking uh, the guests, what's the last thing that made you laugh really hard? So is there something that you can think of that that really made you laugh recently?
0: Yeah, I can. It was like, um, it was from one of the hiking episodes. Mm -hmm. And my son... Loves it when I, like, lose control laughing. Mm-hmm. I mean, he'll, he'll look at me, he'll start laughing. And he just <laughs> loves it. It makes him so happy. Yeah. <clears throat> and I think that was the last time I laughed really hard. It was uh, Alice and Janney. Mm-hmm. We were hiking, and I'm editing mm-hmm. the hike. And there was a part where um, I said to her, um, have you ever worked with any divas? And she goes, yes, I have. I said, who? And she whispers in my ear, and I can't hear her. And I said, <laughs> Who? and she whispers again i still can't hear her. <laughs> i said who and she says it out loud she goes um, um william hurt <laughs> <laughs> loud <laughs> And we both laughed on the hike together. But then when I watched it, it looked so insanely funny, and I couldn't stop laughing. And my son just looking at me, and he's laughing, and he, he doesn't want it to stop.
1: That's great. Well, uh, everyone uh, should check out The Hiking Show, which is now back for Season 3. Yeah, every
0: Thursday I post a new episode yeah, on as long YouTube. as I have the hikes.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, well, it's a lot of fun, and it was a lot of fun uh, talking to you today. Yeah, thanks,
0: Matt. Likewise. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much to Kevin Nealon for coming out and talking with me today. New episodes of Hiking with Kevin will appear on YouTube every Thursday. This past week's guest was Alec Baldwin, and he has a lot of other great guests coming up. And you can find Kevin's stand-up tour dates at kevinnealon.com. If you enjoy this show, please tell your friends and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Wilstein and at thedailybeast.com. The Last Laugh is distributed by Himalaya Media for The Daily Beast. It is produced by Jason Smith and Scott Porch for Starburns Audio and edited by Mackenzie Mazell. Our theme music is by Claude, who you can find on Instagram at claude.mp3. You can find the show every week on Apple Podcasts, the Himalaya app, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can find show notes and highlights from each episode on thedailybeast.com. See you next week!